Welcome to the Brandon New Podcast. I'm your host, Carly Lyon, and I'm dedicated to helping individuals elevate their personal brand, proactively shape their reputation, and attract the life and career they dream of. I interview leading creative professionals, communication experts, and social media gurus in a bid to uncover practical and cutting-edge personal branding strategies for you to apply. All sessions are recorded in front of a real audience asking real questions. If you want to learn more, please feel free to visit my website, carlylion.com, and discover other ways we can work together. For now, let's start the class. Welcome to the Branding New Podcast. Now, if you have any interest in professional development and you spend any time on social media, which pretty much puts us all into that category if you're listening to this podcast, you would have 100% come across Shade Zarai. She is an award-winning peak performance educator. Her videos stand out on every single platform that she's on. And I am just so incredibly thrilled and excited to have the opportunity to interview Sade. Now, for the two people listening that haven't heard of Sade, I am going to do a bit of a formal intro and read out her incredible bio. And again, you only have to go onto LinkedIn to see her CV to really question if this woman is in fact human or I don't know, superhuman, definitely. So I'm going to give you the formal intro and then I'm going to give you the informal intro, which is just slightly different. So the formal intro is Shade Zarai is a recognized for her superhuman ability to translate neuroscience and psychology research into practical, actionable strategies to accelerate success. A principal and director of her positive leadership consultancy, Influencio Global, she consults, trains, and coaches leaders and teams from startups to Fortune 500s, breathing life into organizational culture to enhance change readiness for transformation, increase engagement, support the development of people-centric strategies, and boost commercial performance. In 2019, Sade was recognized as Mentor of the Year for Women in Financial Services and is a two-time Victoria State finalist in the prestigious Telstra Women in Business Awards. She's been featured in the New York Times, Yahoo Finance, Vice, Red Table, due to her prolific career development content on Forbes and social media. That has, by the way, garnered over 5 million combined followers and students. She's also, by the way, a three-time Australian Latin dance champion who was featured as a dancer on TED. Now, that's the informal, and there's so, that's the formal, excuse me, and there's so much more to it, which we will cover in this interview. The informal introduction is I met Sade for the first time. We were both speaking at a Macquarie University event. Now, Sade, this is going to be a bit embarrassing. Hold on. Embarrassing is good. (laughs) Okay. So, in the lead up to the event, I, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm known to be transparent. In the lead up to the event, I thought I'm probably going to be the most experienced speaker. I don't know what made me think of that, right? And then just before the event started, all of the speakers got together and met one another. And I remember Sade started speaking and I was like, oh my God, she's so captivating. Her voice is mesmerizing, but she's also so incredibly intelligent and throughout the whole event 
the ideas and the insights and the stories she was telling and the research that she was quoting to back up all of those ideas, I was blown away. And I just remember being in the event thinking, oh, I definitely am not the most experienced speaker here. And anyway, just to quickly wrap up my informal introduction, I just want to say this, Shade, after the event, I followed you on social media, obviously. I had no choice because I was just, you know, so taken aback in a good way. And then I remember watching every time I come across one of your posts, I would look at your entire profile. And I just remember watching the numbers. This is specifically on Instagram. Just increase, increase. And I'm not talking about by increments of hundreds. I'm talking about thousands. And I was thinking, what is happening? She must be buying followers. I know this is terrible to say. Then I started seeing you on all the platforms and you were just on this juggernaut, this personal branding juggernaut. So in saying all of that, dear listener, I'm here today. I'm excited to be speaking to Shade for two reasons. Firstly, because I want to understand how did all of that happen from a personal branding perspective? How did that juggernaut come into play? But secondly, as a peak performance educator, I know that Shade's ideas, information, insights are also going to help you on your path to building your personal brand. So after all of that is said, welcome and thank you so much for being here, Shade. Oh, thank you, Carly. What a beautiful introduction. You made me all feel, you know, warm and fuzzy. And I, I'll admit, okay, so that event in, at, it was from Macquarie University. I think it was October 2020. I looked into it and I remember I didn't know much about anybody there, but you left such an impression on me Aww. because of your warmth and how you exuded so much authenticity. And I remember I loved your lipstick because I was wearing a red dress. And then I thought the lipstick and the red dress just worked so well together. So it's, yeah, it's beautiful wow. to finally be here. I know we had been talking about this for a long time and I can't wait to dive into the story. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm really, I'm so grateful that you've taken the time because as I said, I do often question your humanness and I look at all that you're achieving. You're in the, in the middle of, of your PhD or are you almost at the end of it? Almost at the end. I have about a year to go. Okay. So you've also, the last time I saw you on online, you were running an online masterclass. There was over 15,000 people had subscribed to that. I just, I always think, how does she do it? So let me start from the beginning. <laughs> okay. So my first question for you, I know that at the beginning of your career, you, and you openly talk about this, that you started in law and banking um, and you've studied You've, I don't know how many degrees have you actually done, Shade? Because I, I looked at your education background. And I was, again, how do you have time to do that many degrees, an MBA, now a PhD? You must have an insatiable appetite for learning. I love learning. I absolutely love learning. Sometimes, though, I think it's a worry because I, I just want to be that perpetual student. And so I have to <laughs> sometimes pull myself out of the learning and then think, how can I actually use this to help others, which has been very much very much the theme through everything that we've done and how this whole journey has come about. But the it was actually really interesting because my undergrad was in psychology and law and I was always passionate about psychology more than anything else. And then I got pulled into this whole 
mindset of, oh, well, you're doing law. It's five year degree. It's an expensive degree. You should go and work in a top tier firm and go and get the job and follow that path. And I actually forgot about my passion for people. And then, as you mentioned, you know, went into the legal route. I was there for four years, but I was that person who would hide behind my cubicle because I was afraid that someone would give me a task and I wouldn't know how to do it. And because I was so full of self-doubt and I didn't feel like I belonged, I wouldn't ask questions. I would just smile and say, yes, that's fine. I can do it. And then fret myself to illness. And that's what happened. I became really physically sick. Then I moved into banking and finance again. It was just such an interesting initial journey because I, that passion that I had for people, I was overlooking it completely. Just doing Mm. what I thought other people expected of me and doing the right thing. Mm. And it really didn't lead to a lot of happiness or fulfillment. And that's why I'm so happy to be doing what I'm doing now because it's so enriching. And sometimes I have to pause and think, gosh, is this my life? This is the life we've created. Just I feel so that. blessed every day. I love. So how how did you make that transition though? Because you have this career in, in, in law and banking. Uh, and, and again, if you go right back to the, you've always been a high achiever. I saw on your HSC, you got the highest mark that you could possibly get, basically. Uh, so that to me, as soon as I saw that, I was like, from the get go, you've always been a high achiever. You get into these big companies, into these big roles early on in your career. How do you go from that to what you're doing today out there in the world, speaking, educating? What was the moment? Was it gradual or was it just a final, that's it, I'm done with corporate, I'm going to go out and do something else? It was very, it was gradual. So if I if I actually wind back, and this is something I've only realized now, if I think about high school. So in high school, when it came to the final years, I chose subjects that I loved and I was passionate about rather than subjects that I thought I should do. So mm-hmm. back then I had the right mindset. Yeah. You know, I was doing the right things. Yeah. I didn't even do maths because I, at the time, believed that I was not good at numbers. And that's a whole other conversation we could go into around, you know, the beliefs that young people have about their potential and what they do. Mm. But I did, I think I did, uh, what did I do? I did four units of English because I enjoyed English. Yeah. I did biology, society and culture, studies of religion. And that's it. I had no physics. I had no chemistry. None of the typical uh, subjects people would expect that you need to then, you know, to do well and to go on and have a fulfilling career. Didn't do any of that. And then performed really well because I loved what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So I had the right mindset then. University kind of confused me very much to the point that I almost didn't want to leave because I was then so afraid of, well, what's next? I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, of course, because I'd forgotten about my passion for people and understanding Mm. behavioral science and psychology. When I was in the corporate space, it was probably maybe two or three years into my banking career that I started to rediscover that love for people. Mm. And rather than trying to show up and, you know, I had this conversation, actually, it was in my first year when I moved into banking. I felt like I'd made the wrong decision completely. Mm. I'd left the legal industry thinking that I would leave all my self-doubt behind in this new space. But of course, it just came along with me. And it was probably even worse because I knew nothing about that industry. But for me, I just wanted to get out of the previous one. Mm. And I, I was contemplating leaving in my first year. I met with this lady who eventually became a bit of an informal mentor to me. And I remember having a coffee with her at the internal cafe. And I just looked at her. I said, Mel, I don't feel like I have what it takes to succeed here. 
I can't do financial modeling. I don't know how to use Excel properly. Someone's going to figure out that I don't belong here. And Mel, bless her, she, you know, she didn't really know anything about me, but she sat there and she listened. And then she said, Sade, you're not here because of what you can't do. You're here because of what you can do and what your strengths are. So find a way to bring your strengths to life. And it was such a powerful message. Isn't it just such a simple mm. yet important message that I think a lot of people need to be reminded of. And for me, it's exactly what I needed to hear. Because then I started, I mean, look, it still took me another few years, but it was always in the back of my mind. Because up until that point, and again, for the next few years, I was trying to fit in. Yeah. To fit into this corporate mold. And I did it pretty well, mm. which is also a worry because then you start to fool yourself. And then the act no longer becomes an act. And then you start to think that, hey, this is who I am. Mm. And that had happened. So a few years later, I start to rediscover my passion for people. I start volunteering to be involved in steering committees and, you know, internal employee networks and finding ways to help. And I found yeah. that part of the job so fulfilling. So then it was, when was it? It was probably maybe four or five years into my banking career. So I had four years in the law, four to five years in banking. I realized if I stay in this industry, I will have a mediocre life. And what I mean by that is it was not lighting my fire. Yeah. But I could get in and do a good job and make mm -hmm. my team happy and get a little bit of that hit of, hey, I'm actually helping. But I felt like my, my calling was to actually be outside of that, helping people who are in there to really be their best. Because funny enough, with, and it's interesting because the very first transitional piece when I left the banking space, there was speaking yeah. on the one side, but there was also coaching. Mm -hmm. And how the coaching had come about was that people would just start seeking me out at work and treating me like a coach. So we'd have one hour sessions and they'd just say, help me, give me advice. I, I'd never done any coaching. I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. I was in positions where I'm able to help these people. No. And then I went and got some coaching accreditation. So I actually felt, okay, I'm not an imposter. I, I know about how to do this. Mm. And that happened organically. I kind of just became a magnet. I was attracting that. Then the speaking side of things, which, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but speaking is such a fantastic way to build brand, build credibility and start to build thought leadership. Yes. So again, we'll, you know, we'll park that and dive into it a little bit later. But I always had loved speaking. So when I was younger, I really enjoyed, I came from a family that would put me on the spot. And initially it was dancing. So you mentioned in the intro, I, I did a lot of dance yes. during university. I was a professional dancer. So when I was younger, it was like, oh, shut, I must dance in front of the whole family. Yeah. And I hated it, but it really developed this, you know, over time when you do it enough times and you become desensitized mm. to it, I started to enjoy being in a position where I can bring joy to people, you know, being on a stage, even if it's my grandmother's living room stage. <laughs> yeah. And then as the years progressed, I started really valuing the opportunity you have when you are on a stage, mm. you know, dancing or just speaking because of the power you have to influence someone when it comes to dancing, it's, you know, it's fun. They enjoy it. So there's, you're imparting that. Yeah. But then when speaking, you have the ability to fundamentally change someone's perspective, mm. to give them a moment to reassess something in their life that can have a really profound impact on their trajectory. And I felt like it's such a beautiful responsibility and a power and you have to really value and honor that. So I started doing that more. And even before I'd left corporate, I was, I had, you know, I created a little website, just myself, 
with oh, my Oh, really? Students. While you were yeah. in corporate? While I was in corporate. So I was doing, and this is a really, you know, something I want to encourage the, you know, dear listeners, yeah. you don't have to wait until mm-hmm. you're, you don't have to wait until you're ready or you've reached a certain position in your career or you've finally transitioned out. You don't have to wait to get started. Yes. So I was doing speaking on the side. And what I also did is, I mean, I'm trying to think, how did I even get those opportunities? I created a lot of them, firstly. So I remember in the company I was in, it was a 40,000 person organization. I offered lunchtime seminars on a topic I was passionate about, which is around positive psychology and well-being at work. This was before. Oh, good. Yeah, right? This is kind of before the well-being was yeah. was such a, an important integral part of organizations. Yeah. And I was just offering this, you know, for free for people to come along to. Like my dad worked in the organization and he was there. I think he was the first oh, one to come along, which was it. very sweet. Thankfully, yeah. other people came too, so it wasn't just him. <laughs> yeah. Bless him. But that's how I started. Wow. And then I was able to refine a message and refine my you know, my unique mechanism or the the ideas that I had. And then I would offer them to community groups. I'd offer them, you know, for a library after after work hours for people to come along. So I did a lot of free speaking. And that then from so that, it, yeah, it was remarkable how when you add value, people see, people notice, and then yeah. you get other opportunities. And so I had it basically, that was three years before I left. And I said, I love this. I want to do this more. Now I'm creating a three-year plan to leave corporate and go and develop subject matter expertise in the areas that I'm passionate about. I mean, who thought that you could do that as a career? You never thought of that before. I had never thought it was a possibility at all. And sometimes I think if someone had mentioned that to me when I was at university, how my trajectory might have been different. But then at the same time, I also think... Maybe I had to go on my journey yes. mm. in order to be there, to recognize, hey, this is what I want yes. and I am now passionate about it. And I think also having spent so many years in an organization and supporting people at so many different levels, now in the work that I do, I can say when I'm speaking to an executive team or when I'm yes. you know, coaching leaders, I can say, hey, I've, I've been in a company like yours. This is what I've seen. This is, And it brings a level of credibility that otherwise 100%. I wouldn't have had. Yeah, it's it's really really valuable. And can I ask you, just on a quick side note, with that, because you brought up such an important point, just start before you're ready. Just start, like don't wait. Just you know, and even if that looks like just doing a lunchtime lesson for your team, or you know, offering free talks, you set you set up a website. Were you? It wasn't a very good one. (laughs) Which is the point, right? (laughs) That's the point. It's part of the journey. And no one would have ever assumed that looking at all of your assets now, but it's good that you are sharing that because again, that's something that holds a lot of people back is that perfectionism, needing it to be ready and done and they're everything when really it's that gradual process. But mm-hmm. at what t- at what point, and I'm sure you're getting to this anyway, did you start charging? So you did all of these free talks. Was it at the point you left or had you already commercialized it before you left? I'd already commercialized it. Okay. And it happened to me because I was doing it so frequently. I never thought of commercializing it because I think that's the other thing. When you love what you do, sometimes there's this challenging point of, yes, hey, I, I don't feel right about making money out of this thing because I love it. And I, But people would come to me and request for me to speak and say, we have, this is our budget. 
Yes. And so without me having to go and ask them for, you know, payment for services, they were telling me what they would pay. Yeah. So that that way I kind of I just accepted whatever. And it was very low to start, which was fine because I wasn't doing it for that reason. When you start realizing that, hey, my skills, my thought leadership, whatever it is, it is of value. And how you how I determined that was entirely based on what does this audience say about what I've shared? And I would have emails come to me months later saying, oh, you came and ran a session at the library and I was there and it has impacted my life in ways I never thought possible. Mm -hmm. I did this and then I did that and thank you. And I realized, wow, there is actually real value to what I love, which is getting up in front of people and helping them. And then when also that kind of monetization piece had come in, the commercialization, I realized, okay, there is something here. Mm. Now, when it came to really starting to value and charge at the right level, I needed someone else to help me. Yes. And I think a big part of that is that we are not very objective when it comes to assessing our value and our worth. Yes. In fact, I, I... heard something recently and it said, no one will really ever pay you what you deserve and what you're worth. They'll yeah. pay you what they think you're worth. And mm-hmm. if you don't do a good job of setting their, setting the standard, setting the expectation mm-hmm. and really making clear and advocating for your value, then they're only going to pay what they think you're worth. And that's often very, very low compared to what you really deserve. hundred so percent. Who helped you? My husband. Oh. My wonderful, wonderful husband, Faisal who is my business partner and the best possible business partner you could have. We are so fortunate to have each other, to work with each other. We know not everyone has this, you know, has the the privilege of working with their partner. Some people, they don't have it just because they're in different spaces. And some people just say, I could never work with my husband, my wife, my partner. Uh, But in our case, it just works so beautifully. He has so he has so much experience in this space. He has oh, run wow. businesses overseas. He used to do, you know, he used to be a speaker overseas. So he's got wow. a lot of subject matter expertise in terms of the industry of what we do, leadership development, training, um, Amazing. building capacity in organizations. I mean, how lucky did I get? You <laughs> and I totally lucked out. <laughs> yes, that was very, very lucky. And very. were you just getting together had you been together for a long time at that point where it was was 2017 it was it was a bit of it was a whirlwind I mean I don't want to say romance because it it was so much deeper than that basically we met at the beginning of 2017 and we were married by the end of it so it was one of these situations of we just knew everything aligned and so it was just you know why wait yeah it's been the best decision that we could have made so at that point, Amazing. I'd already decided that I'm yeah. transitioning out. I had my little website going. I'd, I had these small events that I'd been doing, but he was the one to really come recognize the value, yes. help me recognize the value, and then help elevate what that value, you know, the, the worth of that value to other people in terms of charging and rates. And I think it's important that you have someone in your life, if you're ever doing this kind of work, yes, have someone in your life who can lift you up and yeah. help you see objectively the value that you're adding. Because there is a tendency, especially especially anyone, I think, in the space of helping people. Carla, yes. you're in this space. We're in this space. A lot of people are drawn to be in this space. There is this this feeling of, well, I don't, you know, I just, I want to help people. I don't want to charge them to help them. Yeah. I just want to help them. 
I think it's important to make the transition and recognize that firstly, people value what you do more when yes. you value what you do. You know, we we have this program that we offer and we have scholarships that we'll often give to people. It's really yeah. interesting. People who get the scholarships are always far less engaged. They barely engage with the content. Yeah. Because they just don't, you know, they, yeah, it's just, it's a- They're not invested. Engaged. They're not invested, exactly. They're not invested. Yep. I, and there's also this, you probably heard of it, Carly, this beautiful story of Picasso where he was, I think someone recognizes when he was alive, someone recognized him in a cafe. And went yes. up to him and said, oh my goodness, I love your work. Will you please draw me something on this napkin? So he grabs this napkin, he does this little doodle, and he's about to hand it to her. And he says something like, you know, this will be 5,000, whatever the currency was, you know? Yeah. And she goes, what? But you've just drawn me. It took you five minutes to draw me a doodle. And he goes, no, to create this doodle, it took me 30 years of honing oh. my craft. Yes. And it's, it's such a so powerful true. reframe. Yeah. It is so, so true. So he then pushed you to recognize your value, charge appropriately. And did you just, okay, put it in his hands and say, yes, okay, I'm going to do this. Did it, was it a lot for you to accept and embrace? Because that can be a big step for a lot of people, especially on this path, you know, when they're starting to shape their personal brand, when they're starting to monetize their expertise. I remember one of my clients who had been in big corporate for so many years. She had created this really innovative workshop that she wanted to take out. And she told me later, which I was upset that I didn't have time to intervene before. And she she said, I ran this workshop. It went really well. The feedback was amazing. I said, amazing. You know, what did you charge? She said, oh, $500. And I nearly fell off my chair. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? How? But it's so true. We often don't, we don't put the value or enough value on what we do. And, mm. and what's interesting is really comes back to what you said about the people with the scholarship were less, less invested. Often asking a person or company to invest more, they feel better about it as well. Because yes. they feel like they're doing more to help get to where they want to go. And so that it's a win-win all around. Really, really yeah. is. And that mindset is so important to address early on if it's holding, mm. you know, if it's holding you back, because it can really hold you back. Yeah. And I think to your point, when you're an employee, you get the the mentality is I get paid for it's essentially I get paid for the time that I spend, right? It's yeah. not necessarily outcome-based. It's you will come from nine to five, but for most people, it's like seven to seven or eight or whatever industry you're in yeah. and the, the norms there. But essentially you come to work, you get paid for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I guess, I mean, the benefit of that is also if you're sick, you get sick leave. If you're on vacation, you get vacation cover. When you start doing your own thing, it's no long, you, you need to no longer see it as time for money. It's not just, well, what would my hourly rate be? It's what is the outcome of what I'm delivering and the impact that is going to have, not just in the time that I'm delivering it or, you know, the yes. really long-term impact. Yes. And how many years have I invested to, uh, what's the word, you know, to package what I'm sharing? Yes. How much experience am I able to deliver in this one yeah. hour, in this logo design or whatever it is? Yeah. And again, 100%. it's it can be so tough. Yeah, and there's no transparency around it. I mean, in organizations, mm. there's very little transparency on 
pay and how that's all worked out. And I think there's also very little transparency in the spaces that we're in as well. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, they don't want to yeah. talk about it. A hundred percent. And you know, the other the other side to this from a personal branding perspective is if you're charging too little, they're going to question whether you're actually really good at what you do. So yes. there's just so many sides to this, you know, there's such a psychology behind it. And we could spend the whole time just talking about that. <laughs> we but could. I've got so many questions because here you are, you decide you've you've got this small side hustle essentially. You decide to finally step out. Then what happens? Then, okay. So this was really interesting. It was the end of my time in corporate. We had been married a few years. It was we were getting ready. And then my entire department area was made redundant. So you're so forced out. I'm forced out. But how amazing, amazing. that happened at the yeah. time when I was, because if I'm honest, mm-hmm. we had, you know, we talked about this. I had my three-year one r- runway. Faisal was ready to like pull his wife out of corporate <laughs> and for us to do this together. I still had my reservations. Yeah. And I think part of that is when I'm, I'm generally more of a risk averse person. Mm-hmm. I like to be safe. I like to have savings. I like to, I think I got that from my dad. My dad's been such a wonderful influence in my life. However, what I found was it was also a hindrance at times because it made me less inclined to take risks just yeah. in case. Mm-hmm. And so we'd kind of built up this thing, but I'm not sure if I would have actually had the courage to make, to take that step because yeah. there are so many what ifs. Yeah. What if it doesn't work? And then who, you know, no one anticipated a global pandemic. Yeah. Thankfully, this happened just before it. So get this, look at wow. this timing. Look at how the world works. So we had, this was in, we're in 2021 now. So my final day is set for March 20th. It's my final day mm-hmm. in corporate. I, you know, I facilitated out, which is amazing. I'm very grateful for that, how that happened. We were planning to relocate to Southeast Asia on the 27th of March seven days after I finished, because we knew that we wanted to go all in with the business. We knew that we had clients in the US and across Southeast Asia and Europe. And let's face it, Australia is really far from everywhere else in the world. (laughs) Southeast Asia, it's close enough to home because our families are here, our parents are here, but it's also closer to where a lot of our clients will be. Mm. We had a year that was set where we had certain clients would be working with. A lot of the work was in person and mainly at the time it was workshops, it was training, it was keynotes. Yeah. Within those seven days, so we'd sold the couch, we'd gotten ready. Thankfully, we had the bed in the fridge. That's when the international restrictions hit. Oh, my God. And that's when the whole world essentially goes into freeze mode. Every event, every engagement was either postponed or canceled. I just left this time in corporate. And I'm like, oh, shit. (laughs) This This is not what I thought it would be. Yeah. And I go back, you know, yeah. so it was, the timing was hilarious, but again, it's almost, it had to be that way. I had yes. gone, there was no turning back. And then we found ourselves in a very interesting predicament with no couch, firstly, but also yeah. what are we now supposed to do? We mm. have no, there's no indication of when the borders will be open, when we can go anywhere. We we don't know. So we were twiddling our thumbs in Melbourne, of course, staying across what's happening around the world. And there was this yes. heaviness. And so we thought, okay, well, let's, you know, what do we do? What is our business all about? And our business is about helping people. 
Yeah. Fundamentally, it's helping people. Of course, our clients are companies and we help the people in those companies, but we help people. Where are those people right now? We can't physically go to their companies and help them there. These people are at home in lockdown. Mm-hmm. What are they probably struggling with in lockdown? Probably confidence, managing their stress levels, figuring out how to work in a virtual environment. Okay, well, how can we help them where they are? And then we thought, well, social media. They're probably on their devices a whole lot more. Yes, indeed. You know, you can't go out, can't catch up with friends, not going into the office. It was a really interesting time as well, because this is when TikTok was really taking off. Mm -hmm. And a lot of parents with children on TikTok were thinking, I'm going to go onto this app and see what my what my kid is doing on there because they're spending Mm. a lot of time on there. So there was this influx of a much older demographic using TikTok, which is, I think, very much geared towards a younger demographic, or it was very much geared towards a younger demographic, right? It was 15 or 16-year-olds lip-syncing and dancing. That's all it really was at the time. Now, I picked TikTok as the first first platform to test because, and we knew video is great. I mean, there's a whole, you know, we could have thought, well, what, platform to use or rather before that what format is best to reach people and because we did training and speaking it's like well we need them to hear us and to see us Mm -hmm. because that's how you build trust so quickly so we knew that it was going to be video I didn't want to do it on Instagram because at the time I I wasn't a big Instagram user at all yeah I didn't know how to use it really I'd only gotten it three years earlier because a friend pushed me to get it but it was dormant didn't want yeah. to do it on LinkedIn because that was my corporate connections mm. and gosh, what would they think of me? No one knew me on TikTok. So I, for me, it was low risk. I didn't have the fear of what will the people that know me think about me? Mm. And I think that is such a big preventive force, preventative force or preventive oh, force yes. or a force that blocks people. What will the people that know me think about what I'm doing? Yeah, They might make fun mm-hmm. of me. It might affect my reputation. So I didn't have that and I chose that platform for the reason. Now, another thing that I did, which was very, now that I look back at it, and I think that was really smart at the time, I wasn't really thinking through why I was doing it, but I did it this way. I recorded 40, so I wrote 40 scripts and recorded 40 videos just on my phone in our living room, recorded 40 in one day. I just changed my outfit, moved the camera, it looked like a different part of the living room. And I, I did that at the time for a few reasons. At the time I did it because I, I'm very aware of my energy levels. And I have some days when I have super high creative energy and other days where I don't. And I didn't want to be doing that on a day when I didn't have energy. I didn't yeah, want to have not. to write a script and record when I just didn't have the creative push that I needed. So yeah. I leveraged my natural state and I thought, great, I'm, I'm ready. I've got the energy. Let's do it. So I smashed out 40. It also meant now when I look back it also meant I had 40 days worth of content so I couldn't really back down there was no need to I just let's just try it for 40 days and that's exactly what I did and it was great because I didn't have to you know present for 40 days I'd done it all in the one day the hard work was done batching content is what I now know yeah that's what the term is yeah and I shared it one one day each day for 40 days now initially very little engagement whenever you start on any platform LinkedIn Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, whatever it is, no matter how fantastic your content was. And I'll admit back then it wasn't great because we didn't, re- you know, we'd never done yeah. it before. We didn't yeah. know about how long it should be, how to have a hook, all of these things, but it was coming from the right place, wanting to help people. 
I'm really glad I did it that way in terms of one video per day, because it meant also that I wasn't invested in the the response I was getting. I was just focused on just post it. I made posting yeah. the goal, not yep. the the objective not the response action or response, which is great because I would have given up after week one. I would have said, nope, not for us. You know, not at all. <laughs> yep, yep. But day 21, one of the videos really took off. I posted it at night. I woke up in the morning and there were 40,000 views. Wow. And it just kept growing and growing. Wow. And then from there, I just kept posting because I had a whole lot of other ones to go. And it just kept growing. And then by four weeks in, we had 75,000 followers on that platform. And these are not 15, 16 year olds following. Yeah. These are 35 to 45. Moms and dads. Prime, exactly. Prime demographic. Yeah. And so we were one of the first on that platform at that time who were doing that type of video to help people with confidence, with well-being, with managing stress, with imposter syndrome. We were one of the first. It was a very open amazing. market. Yeah. And that's how it started. So st- then though, the challenge became, okay, so we started there. Through that, we, we opened up a lot of new clients in Europe because now the whole world is virtual. And so people are looking for speakers who can come and deliver virtually. They say, see a video of someone yeah. Delivering virtually, if you like, or, you know, it's a video. And yeah. I think this person would be great. So we opened up JP Morgan, Switzerland, started doing work with them. We started working with uh, Procter & Gamble in Latin America from TikTok. Who would have wow. thought? Wow. I would never have thought. So actual corporate response, as well as just this booming audience of yes. consumers, basically. It's crazy. Wow. And the, the way to think is because... Uh, this was a transition point I had to go through as well. We think of corporate as being an entity, but mm. really corporate is just a whole lot of people within yes. that entity. And those people are going to be on TikTok, just like how you are. It's those so people true. are going to be. And then some of those people are tasked with, hey, find a speaker for our team. Yes. They might be in HR. They might be in learning and development. Mm. And then they see you and they think fantastic. And I always say so to everybody, you do not have to be the best. You just have to be front of mind. Yes. Yeah. A hundred. have to be the best. Just get in front of people and you'll learn as you go. Okay. So, I mean, I've got a whole page of questions just off the back (laughs) of that. First of all, I just want to put it out there that how much did the universe have your back? I mean, honestly, even though at the time I'm sure you sat in some of those experiences and there might've been a fear factor or a questioning of if you had made the right decision, but just looking back and connecting all the dots, it was, you know, I always say life happens for you, not to you. Mm. And in this case, life really happened for you. Uh, And I, I love, I always remind myself of that, especially when you're actually in the middle of a hard time, it's happening for me, not to me. Then I love that you are very honest in, in calling out, okay, I chose this platform to try everything out also because you didn't want the people around you to potentially see what you were doing, uh, which absolutely Sade, when I coach my clients, whenever I talk about personal branding, you know, that is the number one reason why people are not putting themselves out there on social media is they are worried about what their friends, colleagues, peers, family, you know, what people are going to think about them for putting themselves out there. And it's actually really sad because even as I'm sitting here thinking, imagine if you 
you know, now looking at all the success you've had and the response you've had globally on all of these platforms, if at that point you had have stopped and said, oh, no, I'm too afraid, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm worried about what my ex-manager Marcy is going to say or, you know, Darren from wherever I was going to, you know, and usually when I ask somebody, who are you afraid of? It's like two or three people in their past that they're really afraid of. So you go on TikTok. Now, 21 Days In is fairly rapid compared to some of the people listening might have been on and still on social media waiting for that cut through. But 21 Days is phenomenal. How did you, you know, you were just starting out. It was all very new. How did, I'm just trying to wrap my head around what that must have been like to go, you know, as they say, from zero to hero so quickly to have that audience build so quickly. How are you feeling? What were you thinking? How was I feeling? It was exciting. Yeah. I think that what I wasn't expecting, and this is again, another important lesson for anyone who starts to put themselves out there, is that there is the, you know, the more people you reach, the more impact you can have, the more positive impact yeah. you can have. But of course, it also means you're going to be reaching people who don't like you or your message or your mm-hmm. hair or your accent or some trivial thing that they'll find. And I wasn't expecting, to ha- or rather, I, I wasn't prepared for how I would react to the yes. say haters, but the the really vocal yeah. critics yeah. who know yeah. nothing about you. And can just hurl this really hurtful, you know, criticism. Yeah. That's, that's probably one thing I remember because it was such a, you know, they say we remember our emotional highs and our emotional no- lows. And yeah. that period was really the low was, how do I respond to these people? Now I'm a recovering people per- uh, people pleaser. Yes. And so I struggled with that. Of course really. you would have. And what I, I mean, look. Years How could anyone hate your hair, by the way? Sorry, I just have to say, I'm sorry. I'm looking at your hair now. It's absolutely stunning. How could anyone criticize that? But anyway, yes, sorry. Oh, I should show you some of these, show you some of these comments. Um, oh, I had someone criticize my eyebrows consistently, which really, that one was funny. I thought that one was hilarious. But when, and, and actually I remember asking a question of this. I, I asked somebody in a panel, I think it was a panel of leaders. And I asked them, as you've gone on your leadership journey, how do you prepare yourself for the people who just don't resonate with your mm. ideas. your And the advice or the, the guidance that these very, very senior leaders gave was you just detach. You know yeah. what is important for you to take on. And there are always going to be people who disagree. If you're very clear on your values and you've stuck by your values and you had reason for doing what you're doing or saying what you said or, or whatever, you know that, then you mm. just detach. You essentially cut them off and not allow them access to your energy. Yes. And I love that. I didn't expect a leader yeah. to share it like that. Mm-hmm. And so the what I've learned how to do is when you get that, the first thing is approach it with compassion. Okay. Yeah. This person is going through whatever they're going through and they're, they're hurling these things at you. It's okay. It's not really about you. How can you just become resilient to that? And if it's really hurtful, you just remove the person. That's the beauty of these kind of social platforms. Yeah. yeah. So that that was something I had to work through. I think the other thing though, because all of, because every, you know, the whole world was in lockdowns. So I didn't get the feedback that you will often get when you're physically around people who follow you. And that's a very different kind of, you know, I've been recognized once at an airport, just once. Yes. I'm surprised it's not more. 
<laughs> I was wearing a mask. It wow. was, that, it's the hair. Was, I'm telling you. I think it was. I think it was the hair. <laughs> yeah. um, but because everyone was in lockdown, it didn't really have an impact. Like I'm even reflecting when we hit, you know, 500,000 on Instagram or it didn't impact us and what we did. It just yeah. gave us additional fuel to keep doing what we're doing. Because it was right, a form okay. of, okay, we're doing something right. It is reaching mm-hmm. resonate. Because look, if we'd done it for six months and we saw no traction, we we would have strategized and pivoted. Yes. There's this beauty in quitting, right? Knowing when to quit. It's not always about persevere, persevere, never stop. It's okay, persevere until you can intelligently determine, okay, well, We've been trying this and it's not being effective. Let's yeah. see what else we can do to try. That's a really yeah. valuable skill that I think a lot of people are afraid of because they see it as, oh, but I've failed or, oh, mm-hmm. but I'm giving up. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. You're actually reclaiming control and shifting your sights. Yes, so, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. So we, yeah, we were never faced with that. We just kept doing what we were doing. And I mean, we've evolved so much in terms of how we do things and how we create things. But it's been a remarkable journey that we never expected to be on when we started. Really? Did not anticipate this at all. You didn't anticipate, I mean, I would, and I'm putting words into everyone's mouths here. I would, I always assume that when someone goes on this journey of sharing their thought leadership, maybe writing a book or becoming a speaker, that they do see that feedback and that uh, audience growth as a marker for success. And that's ultimately, I think that's what a lot of people want. You know, and one of the things I try to share a lot of in my content is, you know, don't just measure yourself on your audience because I don't think that's the best marker of success always for everyone. Um, it's the quality of the audience, not always the quantity. So don't just focus on that, but but obviously focus on that to some extent. But I would imagine most people would look at what you've been able to do. And when I say, by the way, everyone listening, it's every single platform you're on, you've got, and it's not just you've got the audience, you've got the engagement, you've got the connection. And it always amazes me when I look at your posts and I look in the comments, because that's to me always an interesting part of looking at someone's post is what are other people saying in response to this? And I just look at every single comment and you're in there responding to people. And I just think, how how does she actually do this? So, so you've got a very engaged, you know, engaged audience that really, really loves you. And I just, yeah, it, it's absolutely incredible. But you never anticipated. It was never on your never. dream board. No, you never looked up and went, I all. want this. No. <laughs> well, look, interestingly, speaking was. So I've always yes. loved the idea of, you know, and that started early on, the idea of, you know, I'm on a stage where I'm in front of these people and it's because of this mindset of, I have 10 minutes of their time, but there's a hundred people here, hundred people times 10 minutes. That's a lot of investment, a lot of time that is being invested right now. I need to mm-hmm. make an impact. Mm-hmm. I need to use it wisely. So I kind of, I loved that, the, the positive pressure that came from that. Yeah, nice. But for me, the, everything else that came with it was not, there was never something that I'd envisaged. Of course, as wow. you say, it is a marker, right? When you're doing something yeah. right and people are resonating, it will come. Yes. But, you know, when we started creating these videos, it was just 
to help people because we we needed it for ourselves. <laughs> Otherwise, we were literally just twiddling our thumbs, waiting for something to happen. So yes. it's yeah, Especially I mean, especially in Melbourne. Oh my goodness! Yes, it was cold. It was very cold. <laughs> yeah. We were in Docklands, so it was very windy. As it was. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, for any, and I always say for anyone waiting until they feel ready to start. Mm. You know, there's this quote, and it says, "The best time to have started was yesterday, but yes. the second best time is today." Yeah, you just yeah take action. You just try. You learn as you go. I think something a lot of people do, and Carly, you touched on it. When, when we attach ourselves to, okay, so for anyone who is a people pleaser or who seeks the validation of others, the way mm. organizations are set up, it kind of encourages this mm. because you have performance reviews where you are getting validation from your manager. You get a bonus if you did the right, you know, it kind of encourages this hierarchy and, oh, do they approve of me? And and then I think it's very easy to take that with you in everything else that you do. So then if you're starting to build thought leadership, you know, you put something on LinkedIn or you create a video or whatever it is, there is this attachment to what will people think? Are people liking? Are they engaging? How many reviews did I get? And it can really erode your sense of self-worth and self-esteem. Yes. Definitely. When you're not, yeah, either either when you're not getting the engagement that you want, mm -hmm. or if you get the engagement that you want, your sense of value is then entirely contingent on maintaining that engagement. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's so damaging. Yeah. So many people hold themselves back. In fact, part of my PhD research is looking at self-talk, the voice that we hear in our minds. It's looking at it's looking at sort of personality factors as well, but based on the voice that we hear, because what we know from the research is we all have self-talk. We have this internal monologue that's helping us make sense of the world and what's going on. We all experience that. And to an extent, everyone experiences a degree of self-criticism. That was a stupid thing to do. I can't believe I did that. What determines whether that influences how you show up is whether you take action regardless of that voice, mm. whether you still progress, take that step, try something, you give yourself permission mm. to forward. And those who get stuck, it's called a state orientation. They get stuck in their state. They experience anxiety and overwhelm and what if they catastrophize, then they completely hold themselves back. And the interesting part is that holding themselves back makes them feel safe because in a yeah. way they are safe. There is no risk of failure mm. or criticism or judgment, but they're also completely stuck. And so taking the step, putting yourself out there, being more visible you have to be willing to open yourself up to all of the discomfort that comes with it. Mm. And there's, there's a lot of that. Well, for not for everybody, but for a lot of people, it is very uncomfortable yeah. to put yourself out there. But it is the way I see it, especially for people who are employees, but even more so for people who are either, you know, they have the side hustle or they're doing their own thing. It is the best investment into you you can make yeah. because no one can ever take it away from you. The way I see it, you know, when I think about the TikTok journey, if the very first post that I put out ended up being the viral one, yeah, I don't think things would have ended up the way that they did. The reason why we got so much traction so quickly after that first viral post is because I had what I call a portfolio of evidence. Mm. People jumped on, they could see what is this person about? What am I yes. going to get if I become part of their community? Mm. And the same thing applies when it comes to any kind of visibility that you're gaining. 
it's that portfolio. You know, artists have it all the time. They'll have their portfolio yep. of previous work and it allows them to say, hey, this is what I do. Absolutely. If we can start to see these platforms as doing that, they just capture our our value, our thoughts, how we contribute. Uh, and that becomes your portfolio of evidence that no one will ever take away. And again, Absolutely. best time you can start was yesterday. So the best <laughs> yep. time you can start is today. Here, here, 100%. Okay, so, and I I know we're starting to maybe run a little bit over, but I still have so many questions for you. I, I'll I give shorter responses. We'll do okay. like a hot seat. <laughs> I just want to ask this, well, a few questions. You go from doing these small videos in your apartment in Melbourne. You've chosen TikTok strategically for a number of reasons. You've batched your content, goes viral. You're obviously onto something, so you keep doing that. At what point did you then start sharing across all platforms and really go headfirst into this uh, as a part of what you were doing? As a yeah, major part of our marketing strategy. Yeah. Having, it's amazing. Our entire marketing strategy has been 100% organic just from we have zero marketing spend because it's all just happening Amazing. through these, yeah. these platforms. It took a little while. So I, I think I needed to wait and I needed to wait and get the validation from the TikTok audience that people are resonating. I was reading the comments. They were really enjoying the content. Mm. And then I started using that Intel. So I was very data-driven initially. I would track numbers every single morning. I'd wake up and put in numbers and then think, okay, yeah, we had a spike here. Why, you know, where's the numbers coming through? Because I wanted to learn what the audience wants, what's resonating yeah. so that we can then use that to create more along those lines. So very data-driven initially. And then it probably was once I created the second, no, it would have been maybe the third lot of videos. So I created the first 40. The batching worked for me. So I did that again with like the next 30. Mm. And then it was with, I believe it was that third batch when I felt like we'd really refined a message just a side note, some people say you need to be really clear on what your your niche or your niche is first. Know exactly what you're doing first and only serve that audience. Little interesting point about how we did things. So my initial audience was just professional women. Yeah. Having come from a corporate, I was so passionate about empowering women ages 25 to 35 who were struggling because I was there. I'd been there. Yeah. So my content was for women. I never explicitly said, Hey, women, but the the tone, the messaging was... Yeah. Now, once we hit about two months and I'm looking at our stats, I have more men following than women, more men engaging yeah. with the content saying, this is exactly what I experience. Mm. So it was an eye-opener for us that we realized our initial niche audience is not actually what it, who is resonating. Mm. And so then it changed our strategy to open up a little bit more in terms of the content and the, I mean, it seemed like a lot of men were still resonating with imposter yeah. syndrome and self-doubt. Who would have thought? Yes. Right. People often assume that they're more female experiences, but that's what we were seeing. So once we'd refined a little bit more about what is our message, who are we helping? How are we helping them? That's when I had the confidence to bring it over onto Instagram first. I was still really afraid to bring it onto LinkedIn because really? this was my curated corporate mm -hmm. contacts right? Mm -hmm. General managers and executives and CEOs and, you know, and they only, my only interaction was with them was as an employee. And mm -hmm. so I was thinking, what are they going to think of me? Are they going to think I'm foolish? Are they going to think I'm, you know, all these How stories. How did you get over that? Heads? 
how did I get over it? I, I just took action. Yeah. I just one day said enough is enough. For me, look, I think it's very different. If I were still an employee and I started yeah. posting these videos, it might be a little bit different. Yeah. And enough. I'd have people at work saying things mm-hmm. like, oh, I saw your video. And I don't know, mm-hmm. I might be a little bit uncomfortable about that. In the position that I was in, I told myself, look, my existing LinkedIn network are not the people that we were, we wanted to really be serving. And the yeah. people that we want to be serving, we want them to filter, you know, filter in. And then the ones that don't resonate to kind of filter out. So yes. that was the idea, recognizing that the the audience or the network I had, they're not the people who are going to be yes. engaging our company. And it's okay if they opt out, you know, they defriend or whatever it is on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And that's what helped me. And it took a while because at that point, I think I had 7,000 followers on LinkedIn because while I was an employee, I was just posting, you know, yep. a little bit of thought leadership. And once we had, once we had double that, so once I had about 15,000, yep. I saw that the previous lot were now very quiet and this new lot were really engaging. And yes. for me, that was the turning point. I was like, okay, we've, we finally got the balance and then so it just gross. took off from there. So it was a big piece around reminding myself, you know, who... Who am I serving? And if the people yeah. currently in that network are not the people that I'm serving, that's okay. They're yeah. not going to resonate and that's okay. Yeah. If they're, you know, they'll either unfollow or whatever else they can do on LinkedIn. So that was it. It did take a lot longer for yeah. LinkedIn to happen. I think I went on Instagram first and then I'd pick, like I cherry pick the best because I don't post everything that I post on the other platforms onto LinkedIn. I'm still very yeah. aware. It's a different, you know, people, well, look, not necessarily that it's a different audience, but the people, when someone is on LinkedIn, their mindset is very different to when they're on Instagram. Yeah. It's something that they're happy to see on Instagram along with, you know, their friend's dog's photo and, you know, someone else's kids is very different to what they would expect to see on LinkedIn. So I I was picking there, but that's how it started. It was just a matter of just do it. Just do it. Yeah. Just do it and detach yourself from the outcome, from the... The perceptions that you have about what you think other people will think about you that is completely yes. outside of your control. It's yeah. like what that leader said, know your values, know why you're doing what you're doing, have reasons for it, and then serve that because you'll find your people. Oh, it's so true. Honestly, it's and such a valuable reminder. I know so many of the people listening are going to get so much from this conversation. And and I will say it again, like I imagine if at that point, right at the beginning, if you didn't take a chance and you didn't push through that fear and you didn't just take action and, you know, how different your life might have been, the, the oh. results that you've achieved. And I think for anyone listening, that really is the power of visibility. That is the power of putting yourself out there. And, you know, maybe their journey will be different. Maybe you don't go viral. Maybe your audience, you know, may never be that big, but it, I always say it only takes an audience of one to really change your life. And if you're out there and you're remaining top of mind for that one person, that can completely change the trajectory of your life and your career as well. As well as the million more. Yes. Yeah. And you said it so beautifully before. It's about quality, not quantity. I just want to quickly touch on something else that I hear a lot. Carla, you might have heard this as well. A lot of people don't like the idea of self-promotion. 
Mm-hmm. So they struggle with building a brand because they feel like they are becoming a self-promoter. Mm-hmm. And the way I've always seen it is I ask people, I say, okay, well, what are you, what are you hoping to build a brand around? Like what is important to you? And eventually it'll get down to something that's very other oriented. I want to help people. I want to empower people. I want to change people's lives. You know, when you ask why enough times, you'll generally get to the root why. And it's typically other oriented. And I say, okay, in order for you to do that, people need to know about what you do. Yeah. So see it as serving the audience before you're serving the audience. That's how I've always approached it. But Adam Grant said it really beautifully. I heard him on a podcast recently related to his new book, A Hidden Potential. Mm. And he said, he said, it's not about self-promotion. Don't view it as promoting yourself. Make it about idea promotion. Yeah. How can you share an idea that is going to help other people? You're not promoting yourself. You're not saying, look at me. I'm amazing. You're saying, look at this idea and how yes. impactful it can be in your life. Yes. You're then creating a brand about around someone who is value oriented, who is a thought leader, who creates this beautiful environment for the community. And I even say with a lot of people, they reach out to me and say, how can I be a speaker? I want to be a speaker. And I say to them, I say, don't aspire to be a speaker. Aspire to do something or have something worth speaking about. Yes. Right. Do something that makes people want to listen. Yeah. Is it an experience that you've had? Is it a way of seeing the world? Because anyone can be a speaker, put them through training and they'll they'll get up and they'll do an okay job. Mm -hmm. But actually make it more than that. And so when it comes to building brand, thought leadership, any of these things, don't see it about you. See it about how you can add value, how you can be of impact. How are you aiming to serve? Make it about that. Promote that. And it can help so much because it's not icky anymore. It's not, I'm promoting myself. It's no, you're actually going to have value in people's lives, but you need to make them aware of what and how. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you are such a perfect example of that. And, and just so you know, you know, as I was going through these moments of going, how is she doing this? Like, what, what is she actually doing? How, you know, how is she achieving this? Obviously, sitting here from a personal branding coach perspective and just watching you go on this juggernaut of growth. So I sat down and I actually scrolled all the way back. And I actually tell people to do this as an exercise. So if you take a thought leader that you really admire and you love out on social media, Instagram's the easiest place to do this. And you scroll all the way back right to the beginning of their journey. And you will see very quickly that they didn't start out where they've ended. That what you see today in terms of someone who's very polished and it's highly curated and it's amazingly delivered, that might not have, it more than likely isn't where they started. And it wasn't to say that your content wasn't great, but it, it wasn't what it, it is wasn't today. It wasn't that great though. I mean, yeah, but it wasn't what it was. Yeah. And today, it, right. like you've got to start, I always find start somewhere, start somewhere. And it's better to start that somewhere being pretty rubbish because it also allows yes. you to grow, right? Yes. You don't want to start being phenomenal because then you can't grow. Yeah. So you, you start and, Make the objective just the starting, not the standard yes. or the, that's such a great tip though, to also, to go back and see what is that person's journey? How did they yeah. get to do what they do? Because when you talk about, you know, having a portfolio and putting that on show, 
I think it's really important when you see someone and there would be so many people, Shade, who look at you and, you know, as speakers, as thought leaders, as experts, they look at you and think, wow, I could never do that. I could never achieve that. And it's only when you realize, which is why I was, you know, extra excited to speak to you today is, you you know, whilst it may look like you achieved success overnight and in many, in some ways you did in terms of that success on social media. But that could have only happened because you spent all of those years essentially preparing for that moment, building that body of work, you know, understanding what you want to talk about. And and then even once you'd put yourself out there, you were refining that more and more, which I always say to my clients, your best ideas might be out there. So put Mm -hmm. yourself out there and go and find them. Don't wait and just think they're going to come to you. So. You are the perfect example of just someone who has achieved such for all the right reasons, for all the right (laughs) reasons. And I, like I said, I'm just so grateful that you have taken the time out to have this conversation. And is there any lasting tip? Because you've given so many, but I know you're also so full of ideas and insights and information. Is there any lasting tip to anyone who's listening today who is sitting on the fence of whether or not they can or should put themselves out there and start to become more visible? Do Mm. you have any other tips that you feel we haven't covered yet? I have two that have come, three maybe that have come to mind and I'll share them in a concise way because I know I could talk about them for a long time. The first one is One of the common resistance points that I've come across, no doubt, Carly, you've come across this too, is I don't have anything original or everyone's already said what I want to say. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that there are not really any original ideas anymore. Yeah. It's all about how you say it. Yes, what you're saying might have been said, but no one has ever heard it said from you. No one has ever heard your perspective. And as you start to build that body of evidence... It's not just about that one idea. It's about that collection of ideas. No one else will have that collection of ideas because you've curated that because of things that you resonate with or that you think will resonate with others. So that's the first step. Yes, someone else has probably already said what you want to say. That's completely okay. Yep. I've heard it from you. Mm. That's the first point. Because if I had ever thought of that, I wouldn't have started because Mm -hmm. I was starting, you know, helping people manage stress, looking at positive psychology. That all exists. Mm -hmm. But it's about how do you put it together? So that's the first thing. The second one is when you start, typically what happens is you will have benchmarks of people that you follow that you want to be like. And Mm -hmm. they fall in tiers. You'll have people who are sort of aspirational, but you'll have people who are just slightly ahead of you. Mm -hmm. And it's really valuable to have that to the extent that you can get ideas and you can get inspired and think, hey, if they've done it, I can do it too. Where it's dangerous is if you look at them and think, I could never do that. I could never say it as articulately as they have. And then you use it to hold you back because it undermines your sense of value. So make sure that when you're creating, you're curating your benchmarks, they're inspiring you. They're not actually holding you back because it's really common. I do it too. I have people, and I mean, my benchmarks have changed. I have people who are, you know, doing similar things in similar levels And I see what they're doing and how quickly they're evolving their content. And Faisal and I will have these conversations thinking we're falling behind. We need to do that. We need to. And it 
strips you away from focusing on, well, what can I do right now? Not comparing myself to others, just again, being true to my values and how I want to serve and serving the audience. So that's the second thing. The third one is just a kind of broad overarching message. And Carla, you embody this 100% through everything that you do, through every post that you put out. It's the importance of kindness. Mm. And I, you know, you can, you can create a fake brand for yourself. You can create a curated, perfect brand that you think people will buy into. Anyone can do that if they have the right tools and the right, you know, they're saying the right things and they pay the right people for the right support. Nothing can exceed your kindness in terms of the authenticity, the longevity, the impact that you have in the world. And this comes through in everything that you do, why you're doing what you're doing, how you respond to comments, how you respond to the unhappy people in your comments. Mm-hmm. Because as you said, Carly, you go into comments, you like to see like what is, Yeah, a lot of people will do that and they'll go and say, how did they address this mm-hmm. person who's pointing a finger here or who's criticizing there? And so a tip around that is put kindness first. And if you're ever feeling emotionally reactive to what someone has said take a break first Mm. go away and then come back and don't write a comment for that person write a comment for everyone who's listening or rather everyone who's reading how can you use it as a teaching moment Mm. how can you demonstrate your brand through that so again it's not about replying to that person you broaden it out and that's how i think you can remind yourself to have an impact that's far broader than just the one person it's really that collective so they would be my three parting so words. Oh, so, so good. I honestly could talk to you for hours. It's been such a pleasure. I feel so privileged and am so grateful. And I can't wait to continue to watch your journey evolve to soon be Dr. Sade. I'm thrilled for you. You deserve every bit of the success you've achieved. And I'm so thrilled thankful that you've taken the time to do this. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a delight and I hope everyone listening has been able to take something from this. Absolutely. I know they have. Thank you. Thanks, Carly. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, share what you learned and help others find the podcast by leaving a review. If you would like to attend the next virtual class in real time, be sure to sign up to the invite list via carlylion.com or the link in the show notes below. I look forward to having you at the next class.